of you just from living in Bowling Green and doing Christmas Eve service here several times in a row, and we're this year doing Christmas Eve service as well. Yeah. Oh, dismissed kids. Kids, you're dismissed. Uh, so I really love uh, Covenant Church. I love our partnership in our community. I love your leaders. Um, I'm especially getting to know Kyle really well. Uh, he's a great listener. He's a great leader, uh, and he is a great leader for you guys and for our community. So we're really blessed to have Kyle in Bowling Green, and I am excited to continue to grow in friendship with him over the next uh, several years. So uh, our church prays for you. I know you guys have been in transition the past several years, and we've been praying for you, encouraging you through this time, and we uh, um, just are excited for this new season for Covenant Church and our partnership as well. So with that, I just want to pray for us, and, uh, and we're going to get into a thrill of hope as we continue this series. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Covenant Church. I thank you for the elders. I thank you for the staff. I thank you for the legacy that is here of disciples making disciples. And Lord, I pray for the future. I pray for a new season of growth, uh, both deep with you and growth of more disciples making disciples, reaching to this community and beyond. So I pray right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, both individually and corporately. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us by who you are and we would respond appropriately, not just merely by emotions of, of connecting with you, but because of out of the sheer allness of you as a great and mighty personal king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things in my bio is I grew up in Cleveland for most of my life. And as a Cleveland sports fan, for the past several decades, it's been a long, long time especially when LeBron James left several years ago to go down to the heat of Miami, the heat of hell of Miami, uh, and left, uh, left Cleveland high and dry. But then after he won a few championships there, there was this anticipation, what would he do next? And then LeBron returned. And all over Cleveland, there were these posters, Return of the King. Yes, LeBron was returning, and he was, the hope was, for us Cleveland fans, a championship. At least one. Now, if you don't know why he's named King, he's LeBron James, like King James. And this all over Cleveland, it's return of the king. So if, you're a, if you were a suffering, long Cleveland fan, there was this great hope of the return of the king to bring a championship, to bring joy finally. There was an e, even an ESPN special that talked about the drudgery of it that was even rewritten after he won the championship. But when he returned, there was a hope, but that hope wasn't guaranteed. It's like hope when you were a little kid. I want a little red wagon. I want a bicycle. I want this or that for Christmas. You kind of long for it, but maybe you weren't going to get it. Just like as a Cleveland fan, we hoped for a championship from the king, but we didn't know if we were going to get it. But if you're a Christ follower, the idea of hope is a guaranteed reality. It's not something that we don't know if it's going to happen, but if, if God is who he is, and what he said is true, and his history and his track record is true, then we have this great hope. There is a hope of a return of a king. And yeah, as a suffering Cleveland fan, when drudgery in the pit of life, it gave a glimmer of hope and a wonderful feeling when we won the championship. And maybe you're here this morning, and there is some season of your life that you kind of feel in the pit. Maybe it's because it snowed this morning, and Covenant forgot to pay people to shovel for you. It's a little joke, sorry. But there's just maybe the season of life of what is just going on, and there's a longing for someone to kind of say, here's the direction of life. Here's the way to go in the midst of darkness. You're sitting there going, what is going on? 
And the same was true actually for Israel 2,000 years ago, the people of God living under the tyranny of the government of Rome, wondering when would the king come, when would the Messiah come to lead us in triumphal victory and guide us. And so this idea of a king ruling and reigning was longing on the hearts of Israel when Jesus was born. And maybe you're longing for someone to rule and reign in your own life. You're like, wait a minute, king? Like, we left England 200 years ago to get out under from a king. And the idea of king for us kind of seems weird. But let me summarize in just this way. A good and benevolent king loves his people, sacrifices for his people, creates dominion for them to live under where freedom and joy happen. That's a good king. And we're going to talk about King Jesus this morning, that he's a good and righteous ruler that we get to live under. There's no, there's no reason for a king unless we put ourselves under that, right? Kings are useless unless we come under the reign and rule of the king. Actually, in the passage this morning in Colossians, it says this, he, meaning Jesus, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Like, if you're a Christ follower, you have been taken out of this place of darkness and brought into this place of light where Jesus reigns and rules. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering who Jesus is, and you're just spiritually inquisitive about Christianity and who Jesus is, we're glad you're here at Covenant Church, because I think you're going to get a picture, a snapshot of Jesus that is a loving king that says, hey, I reign and rule, and you have nothing to worry about. So the big idea is this this morning. I always, many times, have a big idea. The big idea is come under the powerful and personal king, Jesus. We all come under something. We all let something give direction in our life. So I think the passage this morning, the thrust of what the scriptures say is, come under Jesus. He is powerful, and he is personal, and he's king, Jesus. So we're going to look at the powerful aspects of Jesus as king. We're going to look at the personal aspects. And then what does it mean to, to come under his reign and rule? And so our hope during this series for both Kyle and, and Brian and I, as we've walked through Colossians chapter 1 as a thrill of hope, is that we would not be just caught up in the magic of Christmas, but we would be in awe of the majesty of Jesus Christ. Like there's those warm, fuzzy feelings around Christmas and there's the magic of the air and things like that and it's a white Christmas maybe. But we want to, to display and declare and to show every one of us at both Brookside, at Covenant, and H2O, the majesty of who Jesus Christ is. Because that's the reason for the season. No, like that's the weird phrase. So let's look at the passage in Colossians chapter 1. First looking that there is the, the majesty and the power of Jesus. And we're going to first start by looking at Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God. Meaning when Jesus came to earth, he was God in the body. The incarnation, the God that created everything, came into the neighborhood, John says. Also in Hebrews, it says this, Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. And next week, Kyle will cover, really, Jesus as God. So I'm not going to really dive into that, but he is the, the image of God. So if you're wondering, who is, who is God, the God that created the universe, that knows us personally, and what, how would he act amongst us? Look at Jesus. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will see that he is present amongst humanity in the form of Jesus Christ. But it goes on to say that he is the image of the invisible God, but it goes even deeper than that. It says, 
for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. It says he is the firstborn. Now, that, does that mean like Jesus was created? No, this idea of firstborn has to do like with a king. The one who is firstborn from a king has preeminence, and he is prominent. He is center. He is the hub of everything. So this idea that Jesus Christ is the firstborn is that he has the preeminence. He has the highest rank. He's like the hub of a wheel. If you pull the hub out, every spoke flies apart. So the question for us, if Jesus Christ is the the first in rank of all creation because he is God, is he that for us? What have we put in place of that which is supposed to be first ranked as Jesus? As Tim Keller says, sometimes you make a good thing the ultimate thing of idolatry. You can put your spouse, you can put your kids, you can put your career. You know, replacing Jesus with something else doesn't mean it has to be sex, drugs, and rock and roll or something like that. It doesn't mean it has to be a bad thing, but is Jesus a first rank in my life? That's a real struggle of mine. I mean, I love my wife. I love my kids. They're wonderful. And when Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain, it's like, man, I, I love living right now. Like, there's times I have the preeminence, the first rank in my life is my wife, or even my kids and their success, or even the success as a pastor. See, making a good thing, the ultimate thing, the first rank is, is, is idolatry in my own heart. What do you make as first rank of, in your own life? That Jesus is a powerful God. So he deserves first rank out of all things, even good things that he has given us. He's firstborn, but he says he's the creator of everything. Things that are seen and unseen. I mean, just just go watch a NASA NASA documentary of the cosmos and and the stars set in place. I don't know if you've ever been out on a summer night and just look up at the stars we have a, a cabin we go to in northern Michigan where there's just no light, and it just the stars are so spectacular. It's so dark that you can see satellites going across the sky. And you just look up, and, and you see the cosmos, and, and it says, Jesus created all that by his word? I, my words can't even get my kids to bed. <laughs> and by his word, he spoke and created all that. But he also created the, the nuances of my eyes, the neurons, everything. I got my eyes examined, and I'm 41, and I knew I was going to the doctor for that, like, post-40 thing. If you're not there, that means I can't read when the book's this close anymore. But he created my eyes, and I, I've researched the idea of all the, everything, the nuances, everything that has to be put together for an eye to see it, and it's absolutely incredible. He created the heavens and the earth, and he created my eyes to see. And a gift there is of that. Things visible and invisible, heaven and earth, I mean, he created what we see and what we don't see, that there is a cosmos beyond what is seen that he is in control of. He's the creator. He's King Jesus who created all this. With his words. King is powerful. He's intentional when he created humanity. He created us in his image and likeness, and we bear his image. He created creation, it says in Psalm 19, and it displays his glory. Paul, writing to the Romans chapter 1, says, As we look at the canvas of creation, man is without excuse that there's got to be a creator. And so if you're not a Christ follower and you're investigating Jesus, look at the universe itself. 
and say, I wonder, I would challenge you, is there a creator? And is that creator King Jesus? He is an incredible king who created. He's caring. Like if we were just a little bit closer to the sun, boom, we're evaporated. If we're just a little bit further from the sun, boom, we're cold. I know it's cold today, but it would be a lot colder. He's intentional with creation. Not only did he create it, but it goes on, it says, and he is before all things. It was created for him. Like creation that he created was for himself. You're like, well, that's very selfish. Yep, it is. He's God. God can be about himself and his glory, and he is. He says, I created all these things to point to me and my glory and my greatness and my majesty. So when you see it and the things you don't see that are a mystery to you, it says it is all for me. It points to me. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. The creation is a means to worship the creator, King Jesus. That's spectacular. What are the things that you look at in creation and you're captivated by? Is it the starry night? Is a sunrise or sunset in Bowling Green or over an ocean? Is the mountaintops of Colorado? Sitting on one of the most majestic places for me is to be on top of a mountain where it's snowed a foot of snow, and I'm just waiting to make fresh tracks skiing. So if anybody wants to take me this winter, I'm more than welcome to worship Jesus with you in that way. But those things lead us to King Jesus. So not only is he creator, not only does it all point to him, but he sustains it. Like all these things that are set in motion. It says he is the sustainer. He holds it all together. Maybe your life just feels in chaos. The things in your life. I just lost my grandmother a week and a half ago, and it just seems like chaos. Then a kid got pneumonia. Then my wife went to Chicago to spend some time with her family in downtown Chicago. My parents came to help. And it just seems like chaos the past 10 days for my life. Like, everything's out of control. Like, what's the next thing? You hit midlife crisis, or you hit quarter life. If you're around 30, you hit this quarter life. Like, I've been married seven years, I'm doing this. What am I supposed to do with my life? Then you hit midlife crisis, half time, and you're like, what am I supposed to do with my life? You're like, what is next? And maybe, maybe you're in the, the, the last chapter of your life. That means good things. And, and you're like, what do I, what am I, how am I going to finish well? And it just seems, all these things, how do I put them together? It seems chaos. And he says, I sustain everything. Or we look at the news and it just seems like chaos. He says, I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I created it all and I hold it all together. If, 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 if Jesus is the powerful king that he created everything, he sustains everything, he knows us intimately, what is our response to this great king Jesus? For me, first, it should be respect. Like, if he is this, I, I just have to respect that. Like, I just grew up respecting authority for the most part. My parents are here, so they could testify probably not to that. But I, I grew up in such a way that everyone was Mr. or Mrs. Like, when I was a, a grown adult, which I am now, I think, I was at a conference, and one of my friend's moms was there working the conference, and I didn't know her first name. So I'm with all these older men, and I'm like, hi, Mrs. Bernier. You know, like, I just didn't, like, I was just an inherent respect for authority to me when I, when I was around people of authority. And if Jesus is King Jesus, do we have this inherent respect? Like, what, what does Jesus say about this? How, if Jesus is King and he created all things, he sustains all things, our respect is shown by listening to the King. If, I, if also I respect the King, I have this utmost reverence for him, meaning just this awe of worship 
Like, when we look at Scripture and it's revealed who Jesus is, that propels us to be in reverence of who Jesus is. Like, the the preaching of the Scripture, the, the revelation of who Jesus is, when our imagination is painted with the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he is king and we see him in great, we can't help but worship in reverence of him. Like, that's a response. And also, if he's King Jesus, and we are under his, his dominion, and he's powerful, there's a sense of reliance upon him. Like, he holds it all together. He sustains it. There's a dependency. Do you have a dependency upon King Jesus? Or is your dependency upon something else? We all have a tendency to lean into something else for our dependency and reliance. Whether it's your job, whether it's your identity as something, if he is a powerful King Jesus that came to this earth, he's worthy of a reliance and dependence. And lastly, for this point, not for the sermon, is the idea if he is King Jesus and he's in charge, we need to rest. If he sustains all things, in this Christmas season, there just seems chaos going to and fro to all these places, or your life seems to and fro, driving kids here or there, going to grandkids, and all these things, and just seems like, ah! If he's in charge, and he's King Jesus, I just get to rest in his kingdom. That's the idea of Sabbath. It's the idea that the world still spins around and goes around, even when I don't try to spin it around. Even Jesus rested. He spoke creation, and on the seventh day, he rested. Even Jesus, as he worked in ministry for 33 years, in the three years of his public ministry, there were times that he had to go away and be with his father, and he rested. And so for us, if Jesus is a powerful King Jesus, we can rest because he's in control. There's something right now in your life that is exhausting you that is worrying you, causing anxiety in your life. And Peter says, would you cast that upon me because I care for you? And would you rest in me because I'm a powerful king, Jesus? He is a powerful king. And we've, if you've read history at all, there are powerful kings all throughout history. But they're usually tyrant. tyrant. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Tyrants, that's the word. Thank you. They're just tyrants. Even in Jesus' day, the, you know, Herod the, was a tyrant. And they lorded over. And so maybe you're this morning, and you have this idea, of, okay, if Jesus is a powerful king, that's great and all, but I want nothing to do with him because my picture of a king is just a tyrant. And, and, and our picture of a king is that he sits in a castle and he has nothing to do with his subjects. And he's, he's, he's removed from his people. Yet not only is Jesus powerful, but he is personal. He became one of us. Not only did he become one of us, he became one of us because he was for us and humanity that had run away. In the passage before this, Paul is praying specifically for the church at Colossae. And in his prayer, I think we see some things of this personal God. That first he is praying to Jesus. And at the end of this, and starting in verse 12, it says, if he's a personal God, what has he done for us? What has he done for us? It says this, give thanks to the Father 
who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, Now, when we think of personal God, many times we think of as an individual relationship. And in the evangelical world, we talk about this personal relationship with God. And when we think of personal, we think of individual. But if you look at the personal pronouns through this, they're all plural. What has God done for us? And if Kyle was here, he'd say y'all, because he's from Texas. Amen. <laughs> but that, so many times we can read the Bible, and what Jesus has done or what he's done for us is very individualistic because we live in an individualistic culture. And so we read the Bible through an individualistic thing of like, what does he say to us and what has he done for us? But this is what he's done for the church, those he's rescued and redeemed. And so we celebrate the personal God, not for us as an individual, but for the personal God that dwells amongst us to the church. That's awesome. And if your brain doesn't think that way, it needs to be blown up in that way. Yes, God is personal individually, but he's personal corporately to the church. He has, it says he's qualified us to an inheritance, to his beloved sons. Like he's, he, you are not qualified. And what Jesus cried by dying the death we deserve and being raised to life to give us a life that we don't deserve, he qualifies us. Like he, he, he says, you, you didn't count for anything, but now you do. You thought your good work got you to something. It, it didn't. I'm the one who qualified you. I've stamped your passport. And it says he's delivered us. Like, from what? From darkness. Into the wonderful kingdom of light. And he's transferred us to the light. And he's redeemed us, meaning he's paid the ransom. This personal God became one of us, was tempted in every way, without sin. Everything that we endure, he's endured. And then he died the death we deserve and was raised to life to qualify us, to deliver us, to transfer us to the light, and to redeem us and ultimately forgive us. That's a personal God to us. What has he done for us? That's what he's done. The King Jesus got down and dirty, endured rejection, and endured the cross, and conquered the grave to forgive our sins. Maybe that's old news to you, but I would pray that every morning you wake up, that is new news to you as well. That if you've walked with Jesus for years, and you're like, the gospel was then, and the goodness of a personal God was then, and I I move on from there, would you wake up this Christmas season and realize he's the one who's qualified you. He's the one who's redeemed you. He's delivered you. He is the one who's forgiven you. We so many times move on to other things in walking with Jesus. But this is the personal Jesus who's redeemed and rescued us through the cross. But also through this, we see how we respond. How do we come under this King Jesus? I think quickly, and as we close, just looking at this prayer. First, if this is who King Jesus is, Paul is praying to the God of the universe. Like, do you get that you get to communicate? I get to communicate to the one who spoke and created and sustains all things. The writer of Hebrews says, approach his throne with confidence. Like, just descriptive here that he is praying. He is a personal God that you can come to. That you don't have to go through a ritual. You don't have to do anything. You come with all your mess and all your junk. And you come and say, here I am. To a personal God. 
who is both powerful. That is amazing. Like, do we get that? Do you wrap your brain and your heart that right now you can, if you know Jesus Christ, you can have communion with the creator, sustainer, the firstborn of all creation with confidence through who Jesus is. If that's not mind-blowing, I don't know what is. Many of you are like, well, maybe six inches and school will get canceled tomorrow. That's mind-blowing. No, Jesus. Getting to Jesus without ritual or regulations, but all his righteousness appeaded on me, I get to go to him. He is a personal, powerful God, and we just see descriptively that he, Paul is praying, and, and we can have knowledge by praying. As we move towards him, it says we, we can have knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants to lavish upon his children wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of how to live. And he knows where you're at right now, and he, he wants to grant you the wisdom and knowledge of how to navigate through the situations you find yourself in. And maybe you're in the darkness of the hour of your soul, and you're like, I just want to go around this. He says, no, I'm going to take you through this with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Would you ask me for that? He's a personal God because it says this, so to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, basically, full, fully pleasing to him. So Paul's praying that we would so walk in a manner worthy. This idea of walking is just taking a walk with God. It's a relationship. That's the personal aspect. When's the last time you just walked on a trail with somebody and listened? My wife and I, we try, when it's not this weather, we try to take at least a walk around the block, a short block, or around Simpson Garden Park. The times that we can just connect with one another, listen to one another, and get to know what's going on in the schedule in our lives, apart from the chaos of our children, who I love, who are sitting here. But it's that personal connection time. It says, walk in a manner worthy. There's this personal God that wants to walk alongside you and guide you. It says this, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of him. It says, in him, this personal God, we can have a productive life. Like he, pray to him that we would be bearing fruit, making disciples that make disciples, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to have a productive life. This personal God wants to come alongside and to produce in our life. And it says this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Like, we get to communicate to the God of the universe and ask him for strength and power according to his glorious might so that we might endure. Like, we need endurance. Whatever season of your life, if you're coming out of a difficult time or in a difficult time or you're going into a difficult time, we need endurance. And this personal God, Jesus, King Jesus, says, would you come to me for this power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, we have access to. The power of the Holy Spirit. Endurance and patience and joy. This is a personal God. But we have an opportunity to come under him. He's a powerful King Jesus. He's a personal King Jesus. And if he is king, he invites us to come under that reign and rule. Like, he doesn't force it. He's not the type of king that says, I demand that you come under my reign and rule. No, he displays and declares and shows himself as a powerful and personal King Jesus. So your response is, am I going to come under that? Am I going to come under that because of what he's done on the cross? And is my response going to be the things that we saw in closing? You see, the big idea was this. Come under the powerful and personal King Jesus. 
Will you come under that this Christmas season? Because I would say the place of coming under the powerful and present King Jesus is the only place of true hope this season. It's the only place of finding hope in the dark hours of our soul. It's the only place we find hope when questions of life come our way. It's the only place we find hope and assurance and strength when we come under the powerful and personal King Jesus. So what's keeping you from fully submitting to King Jesus this Christmas season? Let's pray together. You are king, and we are not. You are the creator, and we are the created. You are infinite, and we are finite. We ask that you would increase and that we would decrease. Lord, repaint our hearts and minds of what it means to engage you as King Jesus both as a powerful sovereign, holding all things together in strength and in might, but also personal, who became one of us, who ransomed us, who delivered us, and what it means for us to come under you, to bear fruit, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would reveal an area of all of our lives that is keeping us from fully coming under your reign and rule to sustain our lives, to protect our lives, to guide our lives, to nourish our lives, to comfort our lives, to correct our lives. Thank you that you are a good king. May we rely on you, respect you, and give reverence in all. And lastly, rest in your kingship of control of all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.